Hello and welcome to Inside the Recording Studio. You are here with Jody Whitesides and Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great, Jody. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I can't complain too hard today. Awesome. Having a good day so far, are you? <laughs> well, it wasn't the super awesome go out and ski kind of morning that I was hoping to get started with, but it is Why not bad. Is that? Uh, Why is that? It wasn't sunny out. <laughs> oh, well, it sunny choice, guess, Plus, there was right? a few other things. I needed to create a video for uh, a venture capitalist friend for the Hive pedal. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, you'll have to tell me all about that at some point. So yes. What's going on with that? But of course. Yes, yes, yes. You still getting snowed on? Uh, we are due for some snow soon. Yes. Nice. And then the skis will come out again. Well, yeah, but they'll probably come out either tomorrow or Friday anyway. As long as the sun's out. And yes. No video well, no, no, no. It's not always just about the <laughs> sun. It just was today. There was other things to accomplish. So. I hear you. All right. So today, I believe we're going to be talking about vocals. We in sure the are. Studio. Absolutely. Yeah, we're talking vocals. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we'll just jump in with both feet here. And uh, first thing is always choosing the right mic. That is a huge thing. Of course, it depends on whether or not you have more than one mic to choose from. <laughs> if all you have is one, that's the right mic. Yeah. Uh, but other things can be to be considered is um, for the vocalist in particular. So if you have a couple of different ones, you might want to try them out and see which one works the best for their voice. I wouldn't um, even say might. That's like a must. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that's the big thing. What, what you usually use your Telefunken these days, correct? For a vast majority of it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of my own vocals, yes. Right. Sometimes I use a GrooveTubes MD1A, which I also have. And mm -hmm. then I also have a few other choices of mics. It just depends on what the project calls for. But a vast majority of the time, I've found that the Telefunken C12 suits my voice extremely well. In fact, in the videos of Inside the Recording Studio, this is the microphone that you are seeing. This is a Telefunken C12. And hearing also. That, well, yes, you're hearing it. Yeah. But you're hearing it through a couple of different processors as it's being recorded. Right, right. So now you kind of sneakily got us into the next point here. Um, <laughs> when, when it comes the right to recording chain? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Well, how, how much processing, if any, to do on the way in uh, while you're tracking? You know, if um, you'd asked me this question 10 years, it would have been – Ten years ago, it would have been vastly different than it is today. <laughs> and I'm sure it'll be probably different in 10 years as well moving forward. But, eh, probably. Yeah. So, but what are your general schools of thought when it comes to that? Do you like to apply heavy processing going in, slight processing, any, no? What do you like to do? Well, as I said, 10 years ago, it would have been, let's not do any processing. Let's just you run the mic through the mic pre and right into the computer with nothing on it. Uh, that has changed. Now it's a vastly different. Uh, there is processing going on in terms of the chain that happens. In particular, let's just talk about the chain I'm using right now as I'm recording this here podcast. I'm going sure. from the Telefunken C12 into a GrooveTubes Vipri, uh, mm -hmm. which is a all-tube balanced tube preamp 
which is a pretty awesome device. I go out of that into an Apollo. From the Apollo, I'm going into a 1073. Okay. My, which is another pre. So I'm going from a pre into a pre, which is kind of a weird thing to do, but I've found that it gets a really cool vibe when I do that. And from the 1073, I then go into an LA-2A. And from the LA-2A, I go into a Studer tape machine. And from there, it goes right into what you're hearing now. Yeah. And in full disclosure mode, we're talking emulations here. Yeah. Except for the Vipri. That, that's a yeah. real hardware unit. But uh, right. the, all the other things, the 1073, the LA-2A, and the Studer are all emulations. Right. We're not printing podcast audio to tape and then converting. <laughs> so, Oh, uh, but if I could, I might. Oh, no, I'd, I'd you get take the that warmth. back. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, so on that note, you said 10 years ago, um, you would have done it differently. Yes. Um, question then is, is that out of, and I want to say this, so comes off the right way. Is that because you knew a lot, a lot less? Wow, that was easy for me to say. Uh, a lot. <laughs> what were you trying about, to say? As I was more ignorant back then. <laughs> no, uh, well, uh, I didn't want to say that, but um, I will. <laughs> okay, you you say it then. Um, but is it more? Let's say, like today, is it because you know more what the end result is going to be and what you're looking for? Or is it that you have better tools today, or is it a combination of, of it, both of those? It's a combination of a couple different things. One, it has a lot to do with my mentality of how I like to do things for a mix in a mm -hmm. production has changed drastically. The idea of leaving something as a blank canvas all the way to the mix stage no longer excites me. <laughs> it no, just that, becomes that... an added burden by that point. Yeah. And yeah, no, I, that was the yeah. way I used to record things was to record it as clean, as unadulterated as possible. So I could hopefully in the mix be able to adulterate it as much as possible. And right. I've since lost that mentality. I don't really care to do that anymore. Yeah. Not that that's necessarily the completely wrong approach. No, it's not um, a wrong but, approach at all. It's just not the way I like to work anymore. Yeah. And I – do want to say I, I think I saw a clip somewhere with um, Eddie Kramer, who said that with all the options that we have today with plugins and everything, uh, we end up doing just that. We end up kicking the decision down the line, so to speak. It is right? possible so when, to do that. Yes, right. So, and, and his mentality, at least at that point, was like, "No, I like to." commit. This is what I want. And then I don't have to make that decision later. Exactly. So, so but I, I think obviously Eddie Kramer is extremely accomplished individual. So I think it takes probably quite a little bit of experience to be comfortable doing that. Yeah. And, yeah. and knowing what, what you tend to have to compensate for at the mix stage when, when you're doing it just clean and what kind of processing that goes into it. Um, so if you know that ahead of time, you can steer the ship in that direction a little bit. So um, if you're comfortable or reasonably comfortable or even just experimental, I would say go ahead and do that, but be a little bit wary with the kind of processing because it's obviously if you're over compressing something going in, it's very, very, very difficult to, to sort of undo that process. If not, 
impossible. Well, now you're talking about our next point, which is yes. still part of the recording chain, but mm -hmm. whether or not to compress on the way in. So that being said, like I said, 10 years ago, I would have not been compressing the vocal on the way in, but right. having done a lot of recording of myself and doing that, I was actually able to improve myself as a studio singer to control dynamics a lot better. Right. Nowadays, I have all that control and I couple that with very light compression using you generally on the way in, I generally use one of two compressors or one is a compressor. The other is kind of more of a limiter. So oftentimes I will use an LA-2A because it's a nice, nice, soft compressor. And I don't have to hit it very hard. Maybe two, three dB max. Based That's on, how much you like to take off? Yeah, it's not much. It, it's it's right. a very light thing. And again, if I'm doing it for myself, I don't need much because I've got a lot of control on it. In terms of other artists, I figure out where their control lies and then I have to figure out, you know, is this going more for, do I need a smoother dynamic or do I need something that's a little more aggressive? And if I'm going for something a bit more aggressive, then I will choose an 1176, which yeah. is more of a limiter than it is a compressor. But uh, it's got a lot more, uh, it's got a lot more control to the, to what it can do to a sound. Plus it's more aggressive. And it doesn't have the same vibe as the LA-2A. So it really comes down to, does the song need an LA-2A? Does it need an 1176? Does it need a Fairchild? It just depends. And I do things a lot more in stages now, whereas yes. prior 10 years ago, it was always, let's get the clean sound, and then we'll just go balls out nuts by the mix stage. And it's that's a harder way to work for me now. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, I, I do like to, I, I'm not, I don't sing a lot myself, but when I get projects across uh, my desk here, I suppose. Uh, and what a other, desk it is. <laughs> and, oh, totally. Uh, but, um, I mean, you and I do a lot of collaboration. So when I get stuff from you, it, it usually takes very little work actually you're so. pretty much getting something on a silver platter <laughs> it's already, well, it make, already it makes delivered my job it makes my job a lot easier but um i tend to and of course this always depends on the track like you just said but i like to do the similar process where i like to catch any like quick peaks with uh, an 1176 topic compressor mm -hmm. usually like a, a, a blue stripe or something that i like that the mid-range push a little bit in there um and then later on once you catch that just kind of massage the levels a little bit more with like an la2a type of a soft knee opto type compressor so right. so instead of just like you said just echo that sentiment instead of having like one compressor where you're you're trying to catch peaks and, and smooth it out at the same time and you end up just squashing the crap out of it so yeah well um, and sometimes it, that might be the desirable sound as needed for the recording it's just oh, not a constant sure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of, uh, I'm assuming you do this more as well, but this is a little bit more at the mixing stage. But um, at that point, at the mixing stage, I will generally do a lot more um, automation writing uh, as well as, it, as opposed to just having a compressor kind of level out or, or, or mix it for you, essentially. Yeah, and that so, that also has a lot to do with whether or not it's myself or the an artist that I'm producing as a control factor. 
For right. me as a control factor, quite often I already know where the level is going to be, so I will be at that level as needed. Yeah. And some artists are not as capable of that, so you do have to write, you know, you have to work the volume automation. And on a very rare occasion, there's sometimes where I got a performance that was like really, really awesome, but something about it was maybe not quite right. So you do have to ride the volume automation, but yeah, and, and it could be, you know, just even just syllables here and there yes. that in words where, where you might've to take a breath or, or something like that, or, or just certain words are just not projected as much. So, but again, that, that's a little bit more of a, of a mixed thing. Um, but I will echo what you just said, you know, slight compression on the way in and primarily for, my mindset is um, if I'm working with a singer that I'm not, you know, too familiar with it, their tendencies or whatever, it's more to control um, spikes and things like that. Make sure that, you know, Spike. not, spikes. <laughs> yeah, so somebody's whispering and then the, you know, the chorus comes. And, that just reminds yeah. me of the movie uh, Notting Hill. <laughs> Spike. <laughs> sure, whatever. <laughs> I will plead ignorance. All right. Faint yeah. it all you want. You know you uh, love that movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, don't tell me what it's about because I can't remember. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, so uh, slight – what about EQ? Do you like to do any type of EQing on the way in? That is highly dependent upon the vocalist and the mic match. For uh, Well, how about when you do your – when I do me, <laughs> when you do when you, you. You do you, Jody. <laughs> so, you do you. As Jody does Jody. Uh, generally with the Telefunk and C12, I do not have to do a lot in terms of any kind of EQ. Uh, on a rare occasion, I may add a half a dB. Let's see, if we're talking the 1073, I might add maybe a half a dB on the high shelf. Mm-hmm. I might add a half to a dB on the low. Generally, I don't. The C12 fits my voice pretty much like a glove. Yeah. Um, okay. And that was after an extensive amount of mic shootouts that uh, I made that determination. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking, you know, very, very minute things. Uh, and well, it's not so much that it's minute. It's, 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 a, it's the whole concept of like every little step adds up to a lot of step. Sure. Um, and sure. But, but talking about, point, well, going go about ahead. the mic, let's real quickly over about the, like the mic shootout type thing. So I went to a friend's studio at one point when I was trying to determine what mic is going to suit my voice best when I was trying to step up my game. And I think we tested like some 15 or 20 different mic models of different mics of like various awesome mics that you can test. And it ranged anywhere from like a $200 groove tubes mic, which is not the MD1A. It's a different mic. Um, Mm -hmm. All, you know, to a 414, to a U87, to a, a TLM 103, to, you know, all kinds of mics. And it came down initially to a U87 and this $200 groove tubes mic. And mm. the difference between those two was that in the high end, there was something not that was slightly lacking in the groove tubes mic. But mm-hmm. it also sounded really awesome on my voice. 
But the U87 just had that slight bit better. So that's where I started. And I had not, we didn't test with the C12. So I didn't have that option at the time. Once I got to the C12, it was like the difference between the C12 and the U87 is way minute. But it was enough of a difference that I made that leap of saying, okay, I'm going with the C12 over the U87. But the U87 is a wonderful, wonderful vocal mic. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but, but there also, um, for somebody who might be thinking about, you know, spending a mortgage on a, <laughs> yeah, a new the vocal C12 mic, was kind right? of a mortgage because yeah. mortgage yeah. came in and of itself of a few times right. over, <laughs> depending right. on your but, house. But, but that, you know, is, is food for thought that, so you, it can just come down to the mic. It doesn't mean that the price tag of the mic necessarily equates to a better sound for you. No, that's you know, correct. So, I mean, look at, so, look at Bono yeah, you, or Bono or however you pronounce his name. His, he's infamous for using a SM57 in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> that's just a, that's like an $80, $75 mic. And yeah. that's his vocal sound, but it fits his voice like right. a glove. Yeah. Imagine how big that would be if he used a Neumann or something. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so it doesn't mean that you you basically you work with the best that you got, and um, uh, and here's a story fun, I like to relate about that. Yeah, it, a vocal fantastic. teacher at MI mm-hmm. once came in and said, "If you do not have a mic, and you are desperate for a microphone for a vocalist, mm-hmm. he recommended the Radio Shack PZM." I think you've told me the story, but you're going to have to refresh me. Well, essentially, a PZM mic is like this no, I know what square a PZM mic thing is, that goes yeah. on the wall that catches room reflections or room noise or, or room sound. He said that when you get that mic and you put it on a stand and you literally stand right up on the microphone and it's like right on your nose, you can sing into that thing and apparently it gets you an ex- a really good vocal sound. Now, I personally, I've never tried it. But I know mm-hmm. that information based on a vocal instructor, that's in the back of my mind that if there was no other mic and there was a Radio Shack around, maybe there aren't any anymore, but uh, or a PZM mic of style, mm-hmm. I'd go try it just because I've been told it can work. Sure, sure. Uh, it sounds, you know, interesting it, it, anyway as an experiment to try and maybe you can get some really really cool vocal effects for that something sound really different anyway exactly so yeah so choosing the mic is good but um my point that i wanted to make just to backtrack here a little bit when it comes to um eq now assuming that you got more than one mic at your disposal um if you feel like you have to do a lot of corrective eq going in it's not That's the right probably mic. not the right mic. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So try, try a different one. Now, also, the only time I would do any sort of drastic EQing um, on the way in, and I equate this a little bit to, you know, over-compressing. If you over-EQ something on the way in, it, it, you know, you might have, you know, screwed in the pooch type of thing. But uh, <laughs> if there is a certain, you know, frequency or something that – something that could be really nasally and, and you know that you're going to have to try to tweak that, maybe try to do that going in. Um, and again, not super heavy handed, but maybe a little bit going in just to kind of correct or be some rumble in the room or something like that. Uh, well, you might just roll off something under 60 or whatever. Sure. But, uh, yeah, again, trying not to be too heavy handed. Um, 
so you see when you're at the mixing stage, you have to go, oh, I wish we had more low end on this. I shouldn't have rolled it up up to 500. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so processing going in. Um, what are your thoughts on like this ISO booths and, and those little boxes and things like that as opposed to just ha- singing in the room that might have minimal treatment in it? It this I'm going to go take the Al Smith approach. Do it well. <laughs> Preach, brother. The idea is that you find the spot in the room where the mic is going to sound good on the instrument that you're trying to mic, and in this case, we're talking vocals. So uh, it really comes down to where is it going to sound good in the room, and. That comes from experimenting by setting it up somewhere and hearing what's going on once you've got the vocal or the track happening or you record a test take and then you move it somewhere else and test it again and you keep track of everything that you're doing. Uh, The main reason why I state that is that a lot of times the reason why a vocal might sound dead despite the performance of the vocalist is because of the fact that maybe they've overcompensated by trying to remove reflections and reflections are what give us life in our vocal. Right. Now th- that's assuming a little bit like, well, what if you have, let's say that you have a really tiny room. Uh, well, I had a tiny room. At well, one point. Yeah. <laughs> I have right. a tiny yeah. room now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but, uh, but that, that's a good point. Now let's say that, well, I got sport to stand. You stand right there and saying, uh, th- there might be less, you know, room for experimentation when it comes to that. But um, I think the only time to really try to deaden your surroundings, if you know that you have a lot of like bad reflections and there's just nothing else to go about it, because I know I've received vocal files from artists where you hear just the room. You hear it slightly just in the raw audio, and then once you start compressing the vocal a little bit, it's like it's instant reverb, and it's it's not good. So my thought on the subject is, obviously, the better room that you have in singing, just like you described, that's the best way to go. But I would rather have something that's a little bit more on the dead side, uh, just for the control issue when it comes to... Um, mixing as opposed to having to use like rx or something to try to get rid of room reflections that are just not pleasant sounding sure that but that that again goes to experiment with where your mic is yeah so that that that, that's one thing that kind of really makes a big difference so but as far as using iso booze or what is the one that comes out of is it sweden or somewhere denmark the one that's like the I think it's box a that goes around thing, your yeah. head. I think yeah. it might be Danish. I can't remember. Um, the ice is that called the Isovox? Something like it's, that. It I looks think. like a yeah. leather bound. You thing basically that stand into. You it stand inside like, a little yeah. box around your head, mm-hmm. and you put your mic in there. Uh, uh, the unfortunate thing is the way that thing's designed. I did look into it a little bit. The, the C12 wouldn't even fit in it, which is yeah. oh well. But you know. Uh, I think it's a 
good idea. And there's certainly a point in time a few years ago here where I would have been like, yep, I need that thing, but I didn't get it. Um, I opted to just go with when the heater wasn't running. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, but I could see if like things were constantly on a demand of like, oh, I need to get this done ASAP and I needed to get a quiet space for the vocal, then yeah, I would look into something like that. Yeah. Uh, I've been to other studios though, where the vocal sounds dead and then the engineer shows me where they recorded something. And I'm like, the first thing I think of is why did you do it that way? You could have got a very nice, lovely live sound if you'd have just reversed where you put the mic. So, um, sometimes people will back the singer kind of into a corner and leave the entire open room behind the mic. And that's going to create problems with the reflections immediately behind the head of the singer for one. And two, it's going to deaden the value, especially if it's more of a, cardioid shape or hypercardioid where it's rejecting a lot of the background and picking up what's right behind the singer's head. And it's pretty much for most instances, you want the exact opposite. You want the backside slightly dead, but not dead, dead. And you want to leave the space behind the singer a little bit more open. Give yourself some room. Um, that's how I look at it. Yeah. I guess it, it, Again, it comes down to the room, right, and see well, what does it sound like. Um, if you're if you're getting too much, let's say that it sounds really good in the room, but you find that you have too much reflection coming back into the mic. Yeah, um, but that's generally of, coming from the back of your head. That's not coming from the f- backside of the mic. Generally, right. yeah. So the one approach there could be just, I mean, a simple fix. It's like behind the singer, hang hanging something, a heavy fabric or a heavy something that's just going to stop some of those reflections. So um, there are little tricks that one can do like that where um, yes. it might not look very cool or pretty when you're doing it. but It never it, does. It, it, yeah, <laughs> this is true. Yeah. So um, you said having a singer in the room as opposed to an ISO box, even if you had the option, let's say that you're – you're producing or engineering a session. How do you feel about having the singer in the room so you sort of have a better, you know, conversation or a better contact with the singer as far as like a coaching or something? Or would you, if all things being equal, would you like to have them in, well, in ISO booth, I suppose? <laughs> I guess it depends on the personality of the singer. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> right. yeah. When I lock no, no, you no, away, no, no. you, you go are in staying booth, in there man. until you get done. Uh, yeah. No, actually, I've done it both ways. And it really just kind of depends on the environment that you have. So some places you're singing in the control room regardless because the control room is the record room. Right. Uh, And then there's other ones where maybe the producer or the way the studio works, they don't want the recording to happen in the control room. So you have to be in the live room or a control booth or or the sound booth or whatever it is. So it really kind of depends on the environment that you're in. Like the environment that I'm currently in, I've done it both ways. I've had a singer in the room with me and I've had a singer not in the room with me. And when I do it with the singer not in the room with me, obviously they're tied to everything that they can hear and I have a talkback switch and I have to go and control the sounds that are happening 
something just outside the room in the environment that I have where I could put somebody else. So it really just kind of depends. It's a lot more work to do it outside of my room. (laughs) Yeah. Right now. Yeah. No, I, I kind of, I kind of like the idea of, of having that person there as well. It, It feels like it gets, um, a little bit more intimate with the conversation and a little bit easier with visual cues and well, visual yeah. feedback and all that kind of stuff. So that's I because think you've can, got no blockage between you. Yeah, exactly. So, Other than uh, headphones. <laughs> yeah. So, right. Yeah. But, but that can kind of set the, the vibe in a little bit of a different way. And, and that leads us kind of smoothly into the next little thing where I'd like to bring up just when you have somebody come in, um, to do vocals, being that, you know, singing is such yep. a personal thing. It, it's not, you, you're not hiding behind an instrument for one of a better phrase. Um, how would you go about creating, you know, a vibe and making sure that the singer comes in, that they're, they're comfortable and that they're, you know, in the right mood, you know, right lighting or candles or anything like that? Do you do any of that or, or how, do you, how do you try to read that? I, I do do that, and it usually comes down to discussions with the artist. Uh, some artists don't really give a flying shit, so it doesn't matter. Right. Other artists, like, they have to get into whatever headspace it is that they need. So at one point, and I can do this as an example on the video portion of this podcast, I'm going to flip on or plug in some lights. Hold on real mm-hmm. quick. Okay. And I can plug in some lights. And then if I flip out the light in the room, boom. Uh, well, let's say I need to turn this light off too. So, and it's probably going to get extremely dark on the video. But I have lights that are in the back of the room that the singer would face. So it kind of gives them a little bit of ambiance, but it's very low key. Yeah. <laughs> so it's almost dark. It makes them feel maybe more secure in a dark space that they're not being fully lit up. So sure. it helps for them. Uh, it just depends. Uh, some artists opt for that. Some don't. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it, I, I imagine it being hard to sing a heartfelt love song and you're lit up by neon lights. Type oh, of thing. I do it all the time. <laughs> right. Like fluorescent lighting, you know, it's like, yeah, this is going to be great. Of course. Um, yeah. So, you know, th- creating that vibe and that, that conversation, I think with, with certain singers and you have to be the psychologist there, I think a little bit just to kind of get a read on what, what that person wants. Right. And yep. how far you can push them and all that kind of thing. So sometimes you have to, you know, push, really? You can't do better than that? Or say that to somebody, then they'll start crying, you know? Um, oh, it's not like it hasn't happened. Right, yeah. So, but but sometimes, and that, again, that, that's just a psychology thing, you know, with different people, how, how you like to treat them. But I try to just make sure they're comfortable, they have some room temperature, water to drink, and, um, you know, anything else like that that just sets the mood for them as best as possible. Sure. Um, which, speaking of drinking and things, drinking and drugs while singing. Yeah, um, not not a fan. Not a fan yeah, of it at all. I agree. I agree. There's this one thing for setting a mood, and uh, I'm not judging anybody for, you know, the what, how they choose to partake into those substances. But uh, we both know that, it could really, really cloud your judgment. 
<laughs> and, and therefore it's not even well, a could it's that it does it just yeah. changes the reality of what actually happened so yeah and um you know if you need to do something to kind of get yourself in the headspace just please don't overdo it because you know you get like two takes out of it and then it starts going downhill real quick um, <laughs> so if you even if you even get to two you might get half a one <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 depending on the level of substance intake there. So um, not the police, not going to judge, but um, I don't recommend it. I don't recommend yeah, I, it. Yeah, uh, I'm going to second even, that notion. I, I yeah. don't recommend it either. Right. No, say, especially with, you know, alcohol. Uh, yeah, you might feel nice and relaxed, but it's also going to dry out your vocal cords and all this kind of stuff. And, and you're, you know, there's a fine line between you're relaxed and just a shitty singer. So, uh, yeah, it's that fine line between awesome and shit. Yeah. Right. Right. So use with caution, I suppose. Well, that comes from the alcohol side of things. Then there's the whole, let's go smoke a bowl. Yeah. Or maybe if you're something super hardcore, then you might be shooting up heroin or smoking crack or something. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. not not a big fan of that stuff whatsoever. I've dealt with it a few times and it never, never works out. Yeah. In a positive manner ever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my experience as well. I'm. Not a big fan in that in that environment. You're there to work, so let, let's work. And then after the words, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, that, um, that's my that's my feeling about it too. It's like yeah. you're here, you're doing the work, you're paying the money. Why waste my time? Why waste your time? Right. Let's get this done. So, um, speaking of performing or not performing, that that gives us to, I think, the, the last point that I wanted to bring up here anyway. And um, that's... Well, this is the whole part of being a producer. Yeah. Getting that performance but, out of that artist. Performance. So, but that, the last part here then is correcting pitch afterwards or going for another take versus, oh, that was a great vibe of that song, but that word was a little bit off. Um, That's what punch-ins are for. <laughs> yeah, could be that or that's maybe one of those cases where you go like, that vibe was really, really good. I'm just going to tweak that note in Melodyne or whatever you have at your disposal. Auto-tune, uh, Melodyne, yeah, logic so, pitch, yeah, flex time. All that kind of stuff. But it comes down to you know realizing what, what, what those – tools actually do and some of them are are great today i mean they do a really good job i'm a big fan of melodyne um but uh they're also not magic wands no not by any stretch of the imagination they can do some wonderful things but they are not pure magic right so i think it's important to keep in mind there were like they're not magical orchids it's not like oh that's good enough we'll tweak it in insert plug in here right but um so trying to get it to the absolute best obviously is always the best way to go whether that being timing or um you know pitch wise all that kind of stuff go for the absolute best 
take you can do, obviously. It's not one of those things where, or at least in my opinion, we're like, oh, that's close enough. We'll deal with it later. Because <laughs> Fix it in the mix. Yeah, because it, it's, <laughs> it's always like going to sound like on it's a fixed. <laughs> yeah, because it's going to be, it's going to sound like you're fixing it in the mix. Yeah, uh, if it's if it's drastic enough, it's always going to be a compromise where it's like, no, just just do that line again or whatever. Um, the only time, I, like I said, is if you're really close and the vibe is good, or you're simply just not able to do something, um, then perhaps it's an idea to to rethink the arrangement or rethink the vocal line or anything like that. But it also depends on your production skill capabilities too. I mean, when people say, oh, well, the Beatles would have never done that. And then you find out that, well, you know what? They did do this thing one time where they slowed down the tape in order to be able to sing something in a certain key uh, or in a certain pitch they slow it down for the recording, they speed it back up, and it sounds like it's in pitch. Well, it doesn't work quite the same in digital, although it kind of can. But that was them getting over the limitations of their abilities and using the technology they had at the time to do it. So it's not like it's vastly impossible. It's just if you can't do it, sometimes it's better to hire the person that can. Yeah, if that gap is, is you know too wide between the talent level and what the end result is to be expected. So, yeah. Well, the, I mean, the, the once you is. hit the size of the snake Canyon, that evil Knievel apparently tried to jump over and failed. That's probably where you're needing to get somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> get, get her yeah, or better get technology. A be- get two. a better bike. Yeah. 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 No, bike. the, the, the Beatles argument I think is it's funny to me because you and I, we've talked about it ad nauseum, but People say, oh, they did all this with a four-track or they did this. You know what? They pushed the technology to the utmost limit. Yeah, they pushed it to the edge and then some. (laughs) Right. And and I mean, yeah, I think even – And it's not as pure as people think it is. It's like, holy cow, you are so off base sometimes by saying that. And just the the amazing stuff that obviously George Martin or Sir George Martin, I should say, uh, was able to do is great. So um, I don't think we need to be – afraid of technology, but when it comes to vocal stuff, um, just realizing the limitations of of what those things do. Well, um, and that's, I think, also where the singing gets so out of shape or so far from where it should be, that's where auto-tune or Melodyne or whatever can't really hide the fact. So people went and changed it and became an effect. (laughs) Yes, that's true. uh, For a little while, I think it was called the share effect. And then for, uh, I think now it's just literally referred to as the T-Pain effect. Right. And so that's making use of really going out of whack just to get a certain vibe out of the technology itself and not out of the singer per se. Right. But then, yeah, then it becomes an effect. But people still doing that? I don't know. Maybe. Um, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, So... To round this up here, I think um, the usual stuff, right? Choosing, Knowing your gear, choosing the right uh, microphone that you have. If you have one, that's the right mic. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like you said, even if it's a 57 or a 58, get great results. You know, if that's what you have, then that's what you use. Um, it's a lot better than having no vocal at all, you know, because, oh, I don't have a, a Neumann or I don't have a insert your favorite mic so use what you have um on 
painting with a broad stroke here, um, I would say the less processing going in if you're not sure of what your end result is going to be or what you're going to need in the mix, how this is going to sit. Um, go ahead. Don't be as heavy-handed. Right. Um, but if you do know what you're going for, don't be afraid to commit either. It just you know, gets rid of one decision. Well, uh, it probably gets rid of multiple and, decisions when you do that. Right. And mixing stage becomes a lot easier. The, the cleaner the tracks and everything is, I think it, it might not have been an Al Schmidt thing, but it sounds like it could have been. But the saying that, you know, record like there's no mixing and mix like there's no mastering. So do the best way you can in, in every chain there as you go. Yes. Um, be be kind to your mix engineer. <laughs> Yeah. It's <laughs> the best way of saying it. Record as awesome as possible. Track as yeah. awesome as possible. Yeah. And uh yeah, it's another podcast, but when you deliver stuff to be mixed, please fix anything that needs to be fixed before you do that. Um but that's another that's another subject. Um and yeah, getting as good vocal, set the vibe for the singer, uh feel that out. Um be the psychologist if you have to. Be the taskmaster if you have to. Yeah, my um, favorite thing to tell a singer is anything I say to them, it's not meant to be personal. It's meant to extract a certain vibe or emotion out of them. Yeah. So yeah. if they take yeah. it personal, it is not meant to be personal. It is meant to extract certain performance. If they end up taking it personal, that's an unfortunate thing for them. Yeah, yeah, because – we have to keep in mind that the singer is the first thing that most people are going to hear, you know, in the song. And that's what people are going to relate to in the song. So it is important to, to get the, the best performance that you possibly can. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, vocals in the studio, man. Um, and that's why I do mostly instrumental music. No, <laughs> <laughs> no uh only half true. Um, but anything else that you'd like to um, to add, Jody? I think we've pretty much covered what we were going to talk about today in terms of getting a good vocal out of a vocalist in a recording studio type of – well, not even a recording studio. You could do it in a basement. You could do it in your bedroom. It just depends on experimentation and getting the right sound for the song. It's Absolutely. always about getting the right sound. It sure is. It sure is. All right, Jody. I think that's going to do it for this episode. All right, then. So uh, I'm going to hope that you have a great rest of the day. And uh, Oh, I plan I on it. Sounds great. All right, Jody. Thank you so much. I will talk to you soon. See you later, Chris. See you and later. see all you on Inside the Recording Studio in the next episode where we will be talking about programming drums. Woo-hoo. Yeehaw. All right.